Hey everyone, I'm Fiona Winch and you're listening to Thoughtful Intentions. On this episode, I sat down with Noah Kaiserman. Noah is an actor, playwright, composer, and lyricist, and happens to be a very dear friend of mine. I actually met Noah back in the fifth grade doing Seussical the Musical together, and he has since made big strides in his career. <laughs> he has spent the past two years on the national tour of the Tony award-winning musical Dear Evan Hansen. I was really excited to sit down with him and talk about those experiences and a few other things. Um, just to preface, he also has been writing a musical called Shell that we talk about a little bit, and he also started a improv comedy series on Instagram. Um, which we talk about a little bit as well. It's kind of funny because Noah pointed out to me afterwards that, you know, I talk a lot about unorthodox paths and all the experiences that happen for most people going from point A to point B. And his story is very linear and very, um, he wanted to do theater and he ended up doing theater. But in my defense, I still think that his experiences are super interesting and something that the average person probably wouldn't know about or experience themselves. So, hence this conversation. Um, I should also mention that we recorded outside because we are being socially distant and responsible. So you will notice that I live in a bit of a wooded area. Um, I hope you enjoy the ambiance. So without further ado, Noah Kaiserman. I, I don't even know if I've ever asked you this before, but why did you even start doing theater? Why did I start doing theater? You know, I have my like generic public answer, okay. which is like, and that, and I'll give you that for context, which sure. is generally that like my mom, my brother did theater growing up okay. and my mom was a props person at community theater um, at MTC where we both started. And, um, I used to just kind of sleep on the tables backstage and like absorb, you know, the scores and everything that was going on mm-hmm. uh, around me. And so I think like it was like Hunter's first show was Cinderella, my brother. Um, and so I was just around it a lot. I was around it all the time. And then eventually I sort of, it seemed like just sort of the logical next step is just a hobby to get into. Mm-hmm. And then slowly it became like my life. And mm-hmm. Hunter sort of, my brother, uh, left the field uh, to do, pursue music sort of more. Uh, fully and so now I I sort of embraced theater as, as my thing and my culture that I wanted to be a part of and so that's the public answer is there a private answer the private <laughs> answer I mean the private answer really is like um just time and place kind of thing. it's just kind of time and place like yeah. you know what I mean I think I like I, I I think for some reason like with interviews and things like that it's important to develop like narratives story. and stories yeah, because course. people want it to be something like more important right. and I mean it was just like my mom was like you should do this it's really interesting and I was mm-hmm. like okay great <laughs> and it, it worked out yeah until you try to be a football star yeah I tried to be a football star for a year <laughs> instead of doing well I don't remember what the show was but yeah because because theater wasn't cool in high school because theater wasn't cool in high school and that's well that's why I liked doing theater a little bit outside of my school environment where I yeah. felt like I could have this whole other world of friends life. this whole other life and then I could go to school and sort of um you know be I guess a different version of myself which maybe is bad but uh, well, I like that now they're do? blended but yeah 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 I mean I feel like that's pretty a pretty natural thing for a high schooler to want is just to Separation. blend in yeah. to blend in <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah. very cool so you went to Michigan for musical theater mm-hmm. and like I said, you kind of just went straight into Dear Evan Hansen. So what was that audition process? It was surprisingly brief. And I think, once again, it was a matter of time and place because I I had just finished doing a production of Shell, uh, the show, a show I wrote when I was at school. And I was planning, it was right before spring break, I was planning on going to Disney World. This was senior year. This was senior year. Okay. Um, and I guess I, I had sent in one... I was going to say, because yeah, I, right. I have a memory that's right. junior year... You know, I was at Penn State. We really didn't see each other much in the college years, yeah. but kept in touch well enough. Yeah. I have this memory of, of you, junior year, sending in an audition. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So it I, does back a little it bit. It does back up a little bit. I guess I don't categorize that as much, probably, as I should. I guess that's what essentially got me on file, and yeah. that's important. Um, 
and I guess it's a great lesson in like you know you might put something down on tape a year in advance and then they'll call you a year later and you're like oh great now I'm gonna you know maybe have a shot at this but no in junior year I guess they it happened through the head of my department Vince they had sent out sort of a casting call to colleges looking for young men to uh, audition for I guess at the time in junior year it might have been the Broadway production like the replacement for either the understudy or Evan or something sure. and so I made a tape, and when I look back on that tape now, it is so atrocious to think about. Really? <laughs> well, because I was just so off on so many, I learned so much in the rehearsal process of yeah. Dear Evan Hansen that about the characters and about what the intent of the play was and how everything flows together, that now when I think back on what I was doing in that first tape where it was just sort of like my, I, I don't want to say my instincts, but like just whatever I, the limited knowledge I had about the show in general. Sure. Um, you know, it just feels all wrong. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I put that out on tape, and they actually, I think, said, uh, keep working. And they also said, um, you don't, I think you don't typewise look like an Evan Hansen, which okay. I don't think is even even now true at all. Yeah. Um, but, because uh, at the time, I think it was casting for Evan. But then, in my senior year, I was just about to go on spring break, and I got this email that they were looking for uh, an Evan for the national tour, and in different kinds of Evans, like Evan alternates, Evan understudies, the main Evan. They, I just, I got it. I think it was in like maybe February, February of senior year. Of senior year, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Okay. And you know, I was like, I of course I'm gonna send something yeah, in, of and course. so I put together. I, I was at Disney World, and my friends were living life, and I was, I was trying my best to live my life, yeah. but also like be really conservative about. Uh, how I was using my time and how I was expending my energy because sure. I knew I had this thing coming up. And so, yeah, I just rehearsed constantly for like a week straight. And then I put together a tape and I sent it in and they said, uh, could you come to New York and do this for the team? They literally emailed me back like probably oh two days God. later. And like, this is not normal. This is not normal. <laughs> this is like... This does not happen. This does not happen, especially in the middle of... Co not middle, but like... No, but it was the, the, near the end, essentially. Which was, is more convenient. Yeah, it was you know, far more but convenient. Like, this doesn't happen. No. Okay. I, I thank my you know lucky stars <laughs> course, every day that it did. But yeah, they... So you went to New York to do it for the team? Yeah, so I went to New York and I did it for Pasek and Paul and, and Michael Greif and you know all these heroes that I've been taking tests oh on in school. God. And um, I think it was maybe like two or three days later... I got an email that was like, you got it. And wow. this all happened within the course of two weeks. Like, And I think oh it's, God. once again, time and place because I just sort of slid into this period of casting where they were ending a specific round. And mm -hmm. I guess like my name got thrown into the mix and then I made it to New York in time for everybody that needed to see it to be there. All the pieces fit. Right, because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's just about making sure that everybody gets approval over. Of course. And so I was just very lucky, that's all. <laughs> wow. And that was March, or still February? Still February. That's crazy. Okay, so you went into Showcase. Knowing that I had a job. Knowing that you yeah. had booked a national tour. And like, I mean, for those of you that don't know, Showcase is what a lot of musical theater programs do at the end of senior year to showcase yourself to agents. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, most people go into it hoping to get an agent, but you were just, you were booked and blessed <laughs> yes it was a much i don't want to say lower stakes event because it's still high stakes and that yeah, you, you know you're presenting yourself for the industry so it was important to you know put a good foot forward at the same time though i wasn't stressed about immediate gratification from mm -hmm. that particular event because i was like i know that at least i have job security for the next year yeah ideally if i don't get fired <laughs> did, it, did it not like scare you at all to kind of be going into this without any real world Oh, yeah, it scared the living... Can I curse on this? Or yeah, no? yeah, go Yeah, ahead. it scared the living shit out of me. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I... I mean, and I remember in rehearsals in the beginning, all I could do was shake. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I would just shake. And I was an understudy. I wasn't even up there every day doing things. But, like, when I was called upon to do something, I would just shake in rehearsal. And I was like, am I... And there were so many moments, I mean, even now... At the, even even at the point that I'm at now where I play the role every time, there are so many moments where I sit back and I say, oh man, you're not cut out for this. Yeah. And then I have to overcome that feeling once again, you know, to, to say, no, you earned your spot here or you're, you're mm -hmm. capable and that's what got you this far. If and everyone else believes in you, why would Why not you? believe in yourself, yeah, yeah, you know? Totally. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. The doubt exists. The doubt is real. I know. <laughs> so can you explain also, like, 
what it was like to be a swing and what that even means. Yeah. And an understudy. That is the hardest job. I have so much respect now for every understudy I've ever seen in my life. And um, essentially what my... So, okay, to break down the technicalities yeah, of it. Yeah, please. Um, a, generally, a standby is someone who stands back, who sits backstage and only covers principal roles. Okay. And they sit backstage and they wait to see if something happens. If, if, if somebody goes down, somebody hurts themselves, they slide into that uh, track. And they're always available to do that. Um, an understudy generally is somebody in the ensemble cast who covers a principal role. Um, okay. So you're in the show every night, but then you cover a lead. Um, an onstage. Yeah, okay. an onstage track. And then a swing is generally um, you, somebody offstage who covers ensemble tracks. Right. Um, so they're, the terms that get thrown around, I mean, that's how I understand them. They okay. get thrown around a lot. So technically, even though I am an... I'm billed as, or I was billed as an understudy. Mm -hmm. I was sort of like a standby because I only covered, I covered three principal, principal tracks. Right. There's that only principals sense. in Dear Evan Hansen. That makes sense. Okay. That's a lot to remember. Oh yeah, it was a ton of, it was a lot of different colored highlighters. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of, uh... Did you think that your brain would be like capable of doing that? No, definitely not in the beginning. I think, at the, well, I mean, I got the job, so I was like, I'll figure it out. But at right. the same time, when it's, when I started and I started learning the lines... And this basically means that like... Like, any given night, at any given point in time before or during the show, yeah. you could be put in to perform right. for three different people. I right. mean, obviously not in one night, but, like, yeah. that's how, like, on your toes you have to be. Well, yeah, and there were situations where you would play one role at the matinee and then another role at the night show, where it's like, I mean, I don't know that I ever had to do that situation specifically, um, but I know people that did, wow. and... The, the the only time I, th I think I, I had one situation where I went on to the show was Evan like five minutes before and that yeah, was yeah wait t so talk about that a little bit because I, I remember hearing about that and just being terrified for you <laughs> like, yeah it was just a, a very unique situation which like I obviously won't go too deep into in terms of like it, it was just that the that night uh, they needed an Evan and it wasn't you know and it, it did found out a little bit later than we normally would find out yeah and um Generally, the alternate Evan is the one who would go on first, but he was in PT, and I guess they were doing, like, cupping or something oh in his God. back, and so I was dancing to Hamilton in the basement, oh uh, and they were like, hey, uh, we need an Evan, and it's right now, so you're going to do it. And this I is was like, five minutes before a curtain. It's five minutes before a show, yeah. And that's the gig. I mean, like, that yeah. is that is what is common, is it's like, regardless of the circumstance, it is your contractual obligation. But that presents an enormous amount of pressure. And to be clear, like, this is not just, like five minutes before you have to go kind of like hang out in the background this is five minutes before you open the entire show yeah as that character yeah five minutes and it's interesting because and the reason it was so scary for me particularly with Evan Hansen is because um they put a real cast on you every night mm -hmm. and that particular night I had to because it was such a quick turnaround they put a cast on me but when I walked on stage it was still wet and dripping onto the computer in oh the my first God. scene it's that real like, it's that real it's like you know you they, wow. they put it on you, and because um, usually it usually dries within fifteen minutes, but um, because of that, you know, it was it was still dripping, and I people came on stage and told uh, I was crying. I was crying on stage, like not purposefully. I was crying <laughs> because I was so afraid, and oh. not like crying, like sobbing, but just yeah. like I was there saying the lines, and there were a couple of tears like streaming down my oh, face no. because I was so terrified. I'd never been in the situation before, but I feel like understudies are so strong in that like once you do that you feel like you can do anything because yeah. you know you've been in front it's of probably the worst case scenario x amount of people yeah having yeah. to having to put yourself in the most like vulnerable position right um especially in a show like Evan Hansen when it's so personal it's really interesting yeah can you ex can you for anyone that doesn't know the show or hasn't seen it can you like explain like a quick summary kind of yeah so Not, like giving too much away you know yo yeah totally uh it's about um a boy who tells a lie that spirals out of control and mm -hmm. it's a commentary on how a community reacts to tragedy it's commentary on social media and how you know we all have a desire to be seen and heard and to matter mm -hmm. and um, it explores a lot of mental health things in terms of anxiety and depression and suicide and so it's a really you know incredible thought-provoking show and it requires that everybody who's in it it's not not to say that anyone could ever phone in a show, but it's definitely if you're gonna phone in a show, you shouldn't phone in Dear Evan Hansen ever. I don't think you yeah. can because it's so 
exposed. The lighting is so uh, built to just sort of highlight these eight people on stage and make you feel for this family and for. Um, so it's it, it's very emotional. You know, it's it's a very um, it requires that everybody bring their fullest selves and experiences to the table and sort of be unabashedly themselves. So can I tell you my a little bit of my beef? Oh my God, about please, the show. Give it to me. <laughs> give me the beef. Okay, so I was lucky enough to go see you play Evan yeah. in Cincinnati. You crushed it. Oh, it's not about that. <laughs> my beef is that, like, while I was sitting there, I was just, like, thinking about the people in my life that do struggle with mental health that, like, would benefit from the show yeah. and would never be able to afford to see it. Totally. And that was, like, my kind of a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that I walked away with, like, you know, the kids who pay the enormous amounts of money to see it probably already love it and, yeah. like, probably already have that support system kind of thing. But it's, like, and then it kind of feels like it's a little preaching to the choir, Can, you know, because everyone that's there, like, wants to be there and knows the power of the show. Absolutely. But, like, people that should see it or need to see it might not have the access. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big problem that we're facing, like, in the Broadway community in general right yeah. now, where it's, like, ticket prices are crazy high. It's only supporting, like older white elitist you know audiences right. and so you know and in order to and whereas the stories would be more valuable and, and utilized in sort of various communities of, of different colors of people and, and many different uh, walks of life walks of life and so yeah. I think that a lot of what the Broadway community right now is trying to understand especially you know in a time like this is how to make it more accessible and yeah. um, I mean obviously I think it's going to be a lot about pulling back the ticket prices and I think yeah. things like um, Hamilton did a really nice initiative where they would like give away uh, a certain a certain amount of tickets for really low prices and they would have school they would bus in kids from schools and no yeah I, I have heard people kind of complain a little bit about these shows going on streaming services just yeah. uh, what how do you feel about that <laughs> you know I haven't actually formed my full opinion about it I, yeah. I think like uh, I Specifically mean, referencing Hamilton, but there's a few others. I feel like that. Are... I mean, I loved watching, being able to watch Hamilton in my living room. You're also yeah. talking to somebody who's like loved Hamilton. No, I for, same. No, I love yeah, Hamilton. <laughs> years, and so I, I definitely the the idea that I can watch it while I'm in my shower, like, do you know what I mean? Is a different level of pleasure that I, I didn't realize I was ever going to be able to <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know, coming at a time like this and where we're not getting a lot of access to arts because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. it is, I, I actually think it's quite important and useful. And I, I, you know, when I watched it the first time I was crying because, you know, the, some of the lyrics hit harder in ways that I didn't imagine because of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of everything going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I see the value in it in a time like this specifically. I don't necessarily know. And I also see the value of it as like preser pres preserving older, productions that have a lot of value to bring back now or have greater relevancy in content in, in the you know 2020 mm -hmm. context and so you know there's a lot of amazing writers that I feel like now we're sort of floating away from and sort of li living in this sort of more modern palette of musicals but there's a lot of really good stuff like you know Bach and Harnick and um, you know Sondheim shows even yeah. that have been recorded and access to them is really wonderful because you're not really going to see some of those shows produced as much these days and it exposes more people to the brilliance of it and allows them to sit with it in ways that if you're seeing it in a one night only context you won't always get to sit with those lyrics or go back to that part and yeah. say oh what does that mean let me think about that a little bit more so I think that's what I like about Hamilton too is that I'm picking up on all this new stuff in it that I never looked at yeah you know but generally speaking not the move to necessarily stream yeah, generally speaking, I do think it's a more it's more valuable live. Yeah. Um, it also depends on the <laughs> the production. Like, do you know what I mean? Where totally. I think like Hamilton. Well, um, even like the seat that you're in, honestly. Yeah. Because I have friends that did see Hamilton, but they didn't necessarily know the music beforehand, or like they weren't close enough to really track all the characters. And since it is such a fast show, you know, I get how seeing it up close. Yeah. Might be different but I I don't know I'm so partial to live theater. I'm partial to live theater too I mean there's a different kind of I've been working on this improv thing which I'm sure yes. we'll talk to, I'll talk to you about in a little bit but like um you, you know, can I'm, talk about it now if you want 
Well, I'm doing an improv show. Uh, first of all, I've never in my life been an improv comedian. I was just so. going to say, in, in your list on your bio, composer, lyricist, playwright, you didn't list improv, improv comedian. No, it's not my thing. And I, I guess I just sort of saw this as an opportunity. I, I've been watching a couple of um, improv shows, improv specials and stuff that I was really attracted to, I think probably because of the freedom of its creativity and because mm-hmm. it, I was feeling very stuck in sort of the same box and wanted to expand my uh yeah just expand my creativity and that was helping me to do it and so I also just figured it's it's a pandemic I got a couple months let me learn a new kind of skill yeah. that I haven't really explored and um and it is tough it is tough it is not <laughs> I, I have so much respect for the people who can do it but I realized that in doing it with a lot of theater people that if you a just like if you've been in theater, you generally have a pretty good internal understanding of a story and, like, conflict and resolution and arcs for each character. That's fair. You can generally, like, whether or not it's going to be clean along the way is a different story. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the series that I've started is, which is technically not even really, like, you're watching the full improv because I cut out a good hour of pretty much everything that we've done yeah, and get to the meat of the story, is that, you know, I can take out, I can pick and choose what is the most important, what are the best bits, what are the best jokes, and... Which kind of is not improv is not well yeah. no it's like kind of moving away from the live yeah you're just talking about you mean a benefit of technology <laughs> oh yeah you mean you know I mean? being of, able like, to perfect yeah or just like putting something online instead of in yeah. person but um well and i prefer it in well, person because yeah. it dies after that night and you yeah. don't have to worry about it being subject to criticism in the same way that's true but okay about your improv show also you're not just improving story or improving songs, which yeah. I know you, it does not scare you as much. Oh as no, it, it scares it, me. <laughs> okay, Don't worry, it scares me. Oh my God. That was probably the most terrifying part. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I didn't actually do a show, but I, I, I did a test run with, with Noah oh, yeah. and, um, failed epically. No, you didn't fail. What are you talking about? Um, we had a great time. Um, I had to freestyle rap and I failed epically. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I think like, I like, I like the randomness of the topics. Like, do you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like, and I wouldn't even call it like freestyle rapping. It is the same part of your brain. But then, like when I see when I watch videos of people actually freestyle rapping, I'm like, this isn't freestyle yeah, rapping. Yeah, yeah, of like, um, <laughs> this is just like you know make 'em ups as they call it. And, and that's funny. I think uh, what I like about it though is that every song, as a songwriter, I feel like I'm always trying to like extract the deepest parts of human life and, and make it into like a two minute song or whatever but this has been so freeing to be like I'm gonna sing a song about a pink frappuccino I'm gonna sing a yeah. song about uh being on Mars like it, it's just something ridiculous and it really opens me up and it, and it really is a nice uh, exercise in finding human depth and meaning in the silliest of concepts totally do you know what I mean no I mean like I I haven't done much improv either but I was telling you um, before, I was in this acting class when I was in New York, and it was, we did a lot of improv, not like, it it was more to serve a scene or a monologue, you know, we would do it, we would improv like kind of the moment before, or, you know, contextualize a reference to the past by improving, and it terrified me at first because I didn't really do any of it in college like yeah I didn't do any of it in college yeah but um once you kind of like got over yourself a little bit it was just fun because it's like it is no one has any expectation you know it's just like ridiculous and um and it, it, it is liberating in that way I feel like oh and it's also a really good exercise in making informed choices like on the spot where it's just like, and I think that's something that's, I think the word choices can sometimes be really toxic. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but at theater school, sometimes I think like people, there used to be like a thing where when someone would do something, would make a choice, yeah, yeah, people yeah. would be like, choices, choices, choices. Oh, God. And I don't know, I feel like there's this weird pressure to do, make that crazy decision on stage to do something that like changes the whole context of the scene or, yeah. you know, there's a pressure in audition settings too to make an impression by doing something you know, recontextualizing a song or making right. a, having a moment. Something memorable that people yeah. want to. But I think this, doing improv, takes that off a pedestal. You just live in the moment and you make a informed decision based off of, you know, whatever your circumstances are. Yeah. And I think that's part of why I'm doing this improv thing is because now that I've gotten to do something that's, like, 
quote unquote serious or like mm-hmm. whatever like in the in the professional world I want to ex- I want to get back in the sandbox because that's where the work in my opinion gets done because yeah. you know I'm really fortunate to have been able to um experience things on a professional level and like perform for like a lot of different people um but at the same time I I want to take my I want to take the expectation hat off a little bit because that can be crippling at times to feel like, oh, I have to be on. I have to be what people, at the level people expect me to be at, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like, I do think that's interesting. But at the same time, you know, artists have to feel free. They have to feel open and and ready to fail. Because in rehearsal, if you try to be perfect, you're not going to find anything. Very cool. So, yeah, everyone should check that out. It's called Picnic, and it's available on Instagram. Right? Yeah, it's, it's Instagram it's now. It's moved to Instagram. That's right. So what's the handle? At Picnic Musicals. And we make a donation to an organization, generally a charity, a BIPOC, Racial Nonprofit Justice Organization, or a COVID-19 Relief Fund every single Friday. And I'm only doing seven episodes right now, but I'll probably do a second season when I get bored again. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Okay, good. Um, okay, so you you mentioned songwriting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and pretend like I don't know things about you guys. sure yeah for sure <laughs> well you've been songwriting you've been writing songs since we were kids and now in a much more professional capacity so like how did that even come about because I feel like when we were growing up you know you did not have a way with words <laughs> <laughs> to oh put it wow like you were saying I was dumb <laughs> no no not no, you're dumb not you just you're like, trip over yourself all the time yeah but then somehow your your music Oh my god, it's such a back. No, no, compliment. give it to me. Give it. Just hit me with it. Hit me with no, the truth. No, your music is incredible, and like all the like your what's the lyricism isn't a word, but um, lyricism's a word. Is it yeah. okay? Like your lyricism is just like next level. I just You're could. Really sweet. Thank you know, you. I mean, of course, this has kind of been years in the making, but like, what kind of where, where did you really like start with that? Uh, I, you know, and I'll get personal with you for a minute. Oh, I can't uh, you know, I went through a bit of a family tragedy, uh, around my freshman year of, uh, college mm-hmm. and, um, not a tragedy, but a, a bit of a family cri- familial crisis, so to yes. speak, which I won't go super into, but I think, um, that forced me to reckon with my anxiety in a way that I never had acknowledged myself as having any kind of mental health issues um, before. Okay. And I think that could be based on my reaction to those events. Um, and I took a lot of time to meditate and come to terms with like how my brain works a little bit. And that part of why I like music and lyrics so much is that I, I have so much to say. And I think a lot of the reasons that I, times that I would trip over myself is because of that sheer amount of the amount of stuff to say and the anxiety that I won't say it correctly when I'm talking to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so that's why I like it so much because I, I can take my time, I can really articulate everything that I think and feel in my body and like, um, and just explore myself in ways that I, I wouldn't necessarily always have the social courage to explore myself in, in a, in an interaction. Yeah. Um, and so that, during that time is when you wrote a song cycle. Yeah. That was when sort of this thing with my friend Peter Scatini emerged called Parade in Fool's Paradise, which was a song cycle about vices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had never written any, anything, I mean, I was working on Shell, my, my sort of primary musical at the time, uh, but I hadn't written anything and presented it in front of people in a musical theater context, and so I was really nervous, and I, because I only played piano, I, like I said, I played piano by ear, and so which I... Which is self-taught. Which is self-taught, yeah. yeah. And, which a lot of people are nowadays, and I, um, but I had never played, I remember asking my teacher if he could find, give me hand wipes that I could have with me at the performance because I was like, my hands are going to get too sweaty oh to play the piano and I'm oh. going to slip. And, um, and he, he gave so it to precious. me. <laughs> yeah, it was really sweet. So, um, so song cycle was really the first like yeah. musical thing you've done, but like, it's what gave me the courage to sort of be like, oh, maybe I can participate in this side of the. But community. you had been writing songs beforehand, like yeah, but uh, you can't escape this past. I was Come... writing songs to like get like all frankly, of high like... school. You were okay. To... I was trying to like get girls to like me. Like okay, that was yeah, kind yeah. of which I know is such a stupid story. But, but you were you were writing like pop songs throughout high school. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed like sort of synthesize. Like I enjoyed 
writing I enjoyed playing the guitar I enjoyed playing the piano I was like you know liked talking about I like like writing love songs I have probably 200 terrible terrible songs just like sitting in my notes and I think that like you know that sometimes I feel like you have to get those out of the way to get to a space where you're sort of finally feeling like okay now I'm sort of and I'm not even obviously like I'm sure that in 10 years I'll look back at the stuff I'm doing right now and be like oh you cheesy guy you know (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so Song Cycle, you were working on Shell, but it definitely led more development. Yeah, that was just, that was just like I said, the first time I got some courage to actually, like, really do it, but, um, yeah. So Shell, I mean, I, I mentioned it in the intro, but can you just, like, explain what it is and where you got the idea and what you've done with it so far? Because I know it's, like, it's been doing great things. Yeah, you know, and it's still up in the air because there are still some things I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if, if I can, you know, actually do it in a professional capacity because right now it's sort of only been executed in an educational capacity. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the story about, it's about the life and times of Shel Silverstein, but, you Which know... Which people might remember as, like, the giving tree or, right. like, where a sidewalk ends. Exactly. It's, like, the two that kind of come to mind that when stick I think out. of them. Yeah. Then, and he did Falling Up and Light in the Attic and these really wonderful books that, to be honest with you, I didn't really grow up reading the books. Really? I No, I, 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 I was with my friend. We were in a practice room and she was saying, like, I want to adapt The Giving Tree and I didn't really know. I knew a little bit about Shel Silverstein, but then, so I was like, sure, I'll, I'll go do some research. Mm-hmm. I start researching Shel Silverstein. I get obsessed with, like, the story behind the man mm-hmm. and I'm like, I know how to do this. And uh, I was sort of telling Alexandra that was sort of a, a direction I wanted to go, and she sort of slowly drifted off into the directing world. And um, so slowly it just became like my baby that I just throughout college was just feeding a little bit like every, every Which day. Which is all written in verse. Yeah, it's all in verse. And to be honest with you, it's not really... I think of the problem that I have with a lot of ju- jukebox musicals and stuff like that is that like, you know, you take a public figure and you take a bunch of their songs or whatever, and sometimes it can feel like, well... I am then just making, like, not, not like that I've ever Carol made money King. on this, but, like, yeah, to, if, then sometimes people are making money off of, you know, uh, somebody who else who made a lot of major contributions, and the the type of work that is created in terms of, like, the Broadway stage musical sometimes isn't really super uh, insightful about, you know, s- saying something larger than just, like, here's a person and here's everything that they did. And yeah. I think what I wanted to do with this particular show, um, you know, and... Like I said, I, I don't know if it will be seen in a larger capacity. I'm still figuring that part out. It's just logistically. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I guess I, what I wanted to really do is I think what it really is to me is it's a summary of, about my feelings on being an artist and what it means to sort of, it's a man's 60-year career and, and watching him grapple through, you know, the selfishness of being an artist in terms of being in relationships and like when and how your art affects you in that capacity in a very Sunday in the Park kind of manner. Mm-hmm. But then it also... I think that it, the take it, the different kind of take that it, it has is he's he was such a childish figure he and, and that's something I really identify with is sort of finding the innocence of youth inside of myself and doing things like the ridiculous improv show that I'm doing right now mm-hmm. I really identify with that space and I, and this and when I saw this man and his really interesting background I was like oh I, I know how to navigate that world and so I think you know whereas like a George and something in the park is very cold and sort of detached mm-hmm. I find this man shall to be the opposite i find him to be a much more loose interesting like uh even if it is emotionally detached in some ways but like loose and interesting and and putting on this very childlike persona for everybody and for the world that we know him to be um and breaking that down and what that means and um and what that's protecting so tell me um what what has happened with shell so far i mean you did a workshop in michigan yeah i've done workshops in educational capacities yes um to, uh, you know, understand what the show is and what I'm trying to get across. And so I've gotten And it's to... been like a learning experience for you as yeah. a writer. Exactly. It's It's been, thus far, it's been six years, six years in the making. Wow. Five, six years. I started my freshman year of college and now it's, I'm two years out of college and I've been working on it for oh six God, years. Time flies. That's time like... does fly. And, you know, I think that's what's one of the, I've gotten to watch the show grow up in ways that I, and as I grew up with it and, um... That's really wonderful for me just to even have as an outlet. As well, a I'm sure even like, you know, your experience on tour has to inform a little bit about how you even write shows at this point, right? Like, 
definitely. I mean, I think... I, structurally? Structurally and just understanding, like, what works and why it works and, yeah. and watching... It's really interesting to watch because then with Dear Evan Hansen audiences is that a lot of the times the show is built so perfectly, so concisely that the laughs generally land in the same places every now... I generally know what to expect. Every now and then yeah, you get like, yeah. an interesting reaction. But, like, for the most part, it's pretty... You know, and that's sort of the the really interesting facet of it. It's like it's live theater, and so everyone in that room is feeling like, oh wow, this is happening, and we're all reacting together, and it's so interesting and unique. And it is unique, but it, but then sometimes, from my perspective on stage, when I'm watching all the laughs land in the same place every night, I'm like, oh no, this is formulaic to some degree. Like yeah. there is a recipe, and I think I'm really interested as a writer in being like, what is that recipe? How do yeah. you how do you find that? Like, you know. And I think that, like, that takes a lot of workshops and takes a lot of human reaction to be able to quantify that because, like, of course you can exp- you can try to, you, you can't really anticipate from your desk or whatever what they're going to do. Well, it's and... also, like, a focus on the other characters. Because right. I feel like, especially when you're writing a show that's, like, has this one central character, it, yeah. you, you kind of have to pay attention to the other ones at some point. <laughs> well, and that's a big thing I think I learned for the lesson that I'm going to take away for the next thing is, like, yeah. you know, I think when I was writing Shell... And it, Hamilton came out along the way somewhere and really inspired me as a verse musical, as something yeah. that was based around a central character. And I think that, um, and, and Dear Evan Hansen in the same vein, in that, like, I think it taught me that a lot of these central character musicals, the thing that sets apart the good ones are that the the secondary characters are more fleshed out. And I think if I could go back, and I still can go back, because it's not yeah. like I'm, like, <laughs> done. But, like, I do think that the way a lot of times sometimes these central character musicals can get very focused on that one person and let mm-hmm. the female characters go to the background or let the right. you know secondary people and and it's the ones that thrive are the ones that really pay attention to the ensemble dynamic of how you know this person is impacting each of their lives respectively right of course oh very cool um and you did continue writing that while you were on tour I did, yeah. And I'm still, I, I'm taking a little bit of a break from it, just to, you know, right at the moment, to, to be honest. To let it out. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of the thing is that I'm trying to write a 60-year history of a person and, I, and an art <laughs> career, and I only have 23, so I'm, yeah. I can't really, there's a lot of concepts in it that I hope to one day, in terms of like being a father and stuff like that, that I hope yeah. to speak to a little bit more honestly. But I'll be interested Aww. to see if my perspective is, is has changed significantly no, at that point. I mean, I'm sure it's... I mean, our perspectives have changed in the past few months. Yeah. Like, how can they not? Like, everything changes. Yeah. Life just happens. I don't know. So, anyway, I mean, in that vein, too, you're still technically on tour, but we're That's clearly right. not on tour at the mm-hmm. moment. So, um, I mean, what's that been like? I feel like this is the longest you've been in one place. Uh, you know, it, it's it been strange. I mean, it's been lovely to spend some time with my family. That's been a, a huge yeah. plus. And I, I think it's been strange because I think I always am at... Tour can feel sometimes very like, you know, you're hopping from place to place. You're going from different airport to airport. And you're in so many... Your environment is constantly changing. And even though it's really exciting because you get to explore lots of new cities, it's also sometimes, um, you know, overwhelming to have to adapt every week or two weeks or however long you're jumping between cities. Um and so I was really excited, I think, at the opportunity initially to um, sort of See take the, a break oh, okay. and take a breather and be in one place for a little bit. Yeah. But now I've found that it's not the same as settling down in one place. The pandemic, it's like we're kind of stuck in like wherever yeah. you can afford to be stuck in right now. And <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm yeah. not ju- judging. I mean, I am so, I think the thing that I'm, I'm really, really grateful to have had a place, a home to go back to, a, a mom who was so, you know, generous enough to let me back in. And, um, and I think that is, you know, upped my family game in new ways. And, totally. But, um, I think it's interesting because I don't necessarily feel at peace yet because I think once I maybe once I have some semblance of like an apartment that I that belongs to me in some capacity I, know, I, know. I will feel a little bit more like oh okay but it's very strange and it's strange to not be doing the thing you love every day and yeah. you know I mean as someone who is sending rent to an apartment that I'm not living in, yeah, you're not missing much. No, I, I realize but the grass is always get, greener. No, but I do get that. I mean, it's like kind of this, it's definitely a weird time, especially for anyone our age, I think, because it's like, you're just, the early 20s, you're kind of like in between life moments where yeah. you're trying to just figure it out, and now there's not really a ton to... There's a ton of figure out, but you can't really do much about it. 
Yeah, and you know, I've been thinking about something recently in that vein of like being in their 20s and like, and that I think when everything happened with Dear Hansen, it felt like I was shot out of the cannon and I was, you know, feeling, I had come off of doing some shell stuff and I was like in Dear Hansen and like living my life. And then now to sort of be thrust back into my childhood bedroom at 23, immediate, like no weird buffer in between. Right. It's just like you're now from, from here to there. Yeah. Really indicates to me, has made me reflect upon the sort of like, up and down of like the highs and lows and not to say this is a low but so much as you know you life can change on a dime yeah. and you have to get adjust to that and be able to normalize that for yourself and not sort of ever allow you know your expectations your ego whatever it is to fluctuate you have to find some part of yourself something that centers you and grounds you no matter what the circumstances do you know what I mean yeah well I think it also kind of like speaks a little bit to like what we can even define as like success because right. you know it's, I don't know it's clearly like <laughs> fleeting depending on how you yeah define it yeah I, I felt from when I got from the moment I got the job I was like you got to put everything you have into this at every step of the game because you know you're young you're trying to make an impression and also you're you know this is you may never see an opportunity like this ever again and that's the scary part about being in the theater world is like I could do this one show and never do anything ever again. I could. Like, it's it's possible that after this show... Well, I feel I, like that was, like, already a thing before the pandemic, and now I feel like a lot of people yeah. fear that. Oh, definitely. But that's the thing. My teacher in school used to always say there are no guarantees. So, yeah. you know, if you get an opportunity, like, give it 110% all the time because, you know... Okay, but I have a little bit of a... Go, give it to bone me. ...bone to pick about that. Yeah. Because I... Okay, as someone who was in New York for a minute trying to audition yeah. pretty unsuccessfully, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like there's this toxic like notion that you kind of have to accept everything that's thrown your way as an actor because right. it's like this weird, desperate place that you're like working from and then you know, you sacrifice a lot of values that you might, or, or just your time even, yeah. that, like, doesn't necessarily deserve it, but it's kind of like everyone just tells you, like, well, isn't that what you want? Like, it, and yeah. it's like, no, actually, it's not, what, not I exactly want. what I want. Like, all, I, yeah. I remember right before, like, literally in, like, February, this February, I had auditioned for this two-person show, mm -hmm. and, um, and... I thought it went well, but they ended up casting someone else, but then a few weeks later, I saw, my friend saw another notice on backstage, specifically to cast the girl role, huh. and he was like, you should reach out to them, and I was like, okay, fine, so I, I, you know, they had put the contact information up, so I contacted them, like, you know, I'd love to be considered, Right. and um, they texted me back, like, maybe a, a few days later, uh -huh. and they were like, um, the dress rehearsal's in four days, and can you learn it? Oh, my God. A two-person play. Can you learn it in in two days? In two days. And then, like, the dress rehearsal's in four, and then we open. And I was like, Did you say what? Did you say yes or well, no? Well, <laughs> no, I was just like, I was trying to get more information. I was like, what's right. the rehearsal schedule? Does it pay? Like, what, what are the details? Yeah. And they were not being responsive. Yeah. And I was just like, this is this is hard. Because, like, yes, they sent me the script, and I read the script, and I was like, oh, this would be really cool. Um, the, the play is called Brilliant Traces. Yeah. But um, this would be super cool, but, like, I need more information. Like, if you're asking me to do you this major favor, right. by the way, they're being really discreet about it, but they, apparently the girl got sick. Now it's kind of clear that she probably had COVID. Oh, this she was, had COVID. Because this, this was February, and it was like early wow. March, it was going up. But well, it's a good thing you didn't enter the, if they were in rehearsals. I know, like, but I, I was just they... like, I was trying to get more information out of them. They were being totally unresponsive. They would text me back like four days later, and it's like, your dress rehearsal is like, to, like, what are you doing? And they'd be like, can you rehearse this week? Um, and I told them, like, I work from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., and right. they were like, can you, like, you have to be free. And I was like, you're not even giving me any details. And right. then, you know, some of my friends, I was like going back and forth with them about like, should I commit to this or not? And they were like, well, isn't this what you're here for? Like, isn't this what you should yeah, but... do? And I was just like, but I have to take care of myself. Like 
if, yeah. a, if at a point this is far more stressful and they're not carrying their end of the bargain, yeah. you know, to, like, take care of their people and, like, be responsive, then, like, then no. I don't want to put myself in that position, you know? No, I, I think that it's a good skill to, I mean, and frankly, I don't have it, uh, to, <laughs> to, to learn when to say no and yeah. to say, yeah. like, because right now they tell you, like, in your 20s, say yes to everything. You want to build a base. You want to build a foundation. And I, I see there's validity to that, you know, especially with, like, but I think it's more so with, like, people and projects you believe in rather than being, like, well, I'm just going to say, or, or even, like, you know, a casting company or something like that that you, like, know, like, I want to invest time in this particular organization or thing or person or project because in the long run, this is a relationship that I would love to develop. And, but if it's just kind of some random thing that, but then again, you never know. That's the thing. I mean, it's hard to tell. you definitely never know. And I think relationships are super important. I think it's, like really important to get out there and like try everything but there's especially just because of like kind of the culture that New York has and yeah. like the the audition environment up there it's like I don't you just you start getting desperate and like people could smell the desperation on you and right. it's just like and it doesn't feel good I imagine it doesn't feel good yeah. and then it's like well I don't even feel like I can provide anything for you because I'm just you know, like so at your bidding call. For you you know. Just give me something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of, it's a little twisted. I feel to, um, to make actors feel like they should say yes to, to everything. everything. Yeah, that is that is kind of. I, I get it. I do get the the concept, but yeah. I think especially like when you're at like an impressionable age, or even yeah. in college. Definitely when you're at an impressionable age. Yeah, yeah. it can really like mm, fuck with your mind a little bit. Well, and I feel like, yeah, that's the other thing is it's like you, that's what I really appreciate about going on tour is that I think in doing eight shows a week in the second year when I was playing Connor, like I really learned my limits as a person, like mm -hmm. not even just like on a business front, but on like a, on a, um, you know, just on like a f physical, mental, emotional health front and that yeah. nobody's there to hold your hand and say, you know when to make the choice to call out or do something like that. Right. You just have to know yourself, you have to know your body and, and prioritize your health because, yeah. you know, and it's not to say that people don't care, but it's like you're the only one inside of you who can really say, You also can't do the job if you're not taking right. care of those things. Exactly. It's about the long run. You don't want to burn out quickly, which I kind of yeah. did at the beginning. I had a lot of vocal issues at the beginning of the second year and then, you know, I, I figured it out. So, so at the beginning of the second year, you were doing eight shows... Well, yeah. the whole second year, you're doing eight shows a week. Yeah. As one of the characters that you had That's understudied. Right. I was playing Connor Murphy, um, yes. who is the school uh, outcast, so to speak, <laughs> um, who is sort of the um, the device on which the plot turns, for lack of better like word, uh, for lack of without spoiling things, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the um, like a central plot. Yeah. Um, plot point. Plot point, yeah. Not that he is a character as he well, but character. I just more meant like just without saying exactly what no, happens. No, I understand, <laughs> yeah. I understand. Okay, so um, what was, like, how did that second year compare to the first? Um, very different years. Uh, yeah. The first year I was an understudy, and so I, I had a lot more time to go out places and see cities because, you know, I knew that my voice could handle doing, you know, one to three shows a week if mm -hmm. that was required of me. Um, which it never, well, I think I only, I'm not sure. I mean, I probably went on a total of 45, 50 times in the first year. Um, which is still a lot. It is a lot, like. but it definitely like, isn't like, you know, in a year you do, uh, I think you do 400 and something shows total. Wow. I've done, I've only at Dear Evan Hansen in total, I think done a little over 200 shows, um, which is still a lot because that's more than anything I'd ever done in college and stuff. But like, yeah. um, I learned so much. But in the first year, I, I knew my limits, and my limits were very different than in the second year because I was like, well, if I'm going to go out for a drink with somebody after the show one night, if somebody's in town that I know, mm -hmm. and then I'm called in the next day to do the show, I'll be able to do it because my voice can handle that. But when you're singing eight shows a week, your voice gets really tired and teary, and you have mm -hmm. to conserve, and you have to drink a ton of water, and you have to get to sleep, and you got to eat right, <laughs> and you got to plan your whole life, your whole day is around making sure that you can get on that stage every night. And I think in the beginning, I didn't understand that that, that was, I mean, not, not that I didn't understand that that was what was going to happen, but I thought my voice was stronger than it was. I think I thought my technique in general was stronger than it was. And so it was a really big reality check when, you know, 
I had a couple of shows where I cracked really hard or I couldn't, you know, I had to call out a couple times in a row. And so I had to change the way I was living. And it's not even like I was like going out and drinking or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I just had to change basic facts about like, you can't do the things that you would do normally a day. You can't eat the same things. You can't like drink coffee. Like give an example. Okay, coffee. Coffee's a big, coffee dries me out. And I love coffee. And I, but I, I don't drink coffee when I'm on the road. I, I have it on uh, Mondays when I don't have a show. Um, and alcohol, I don't drink. There are certain types of alcohol that are better for you if you're going to have one drink that week or something. Like what? Like they say often like clear liquors, like sort of like a vodka situation is better for you. For me, actually, it's not even true. For me, I, the one thing I simply cannot have is wine. Wine mm. will, and it's weird because wine feels like a low stage drink, but like it, you, it, it really, sugar? I, don't know. I don't know. It's the, yeah, the sugar is really bad for you. And, and especially if you're having it late at night, it's like, it can just dry you out. Mm. And so like, like I said, it's, but I also think that the most important thing for me was like, you know, most of America does not drink enough water. Right. Um, and my water consumption, I had to drink a gallon a day. If I, if I drink a gallon a day and really committed to that, my show was much, much easier. And I would rather have, the thing is, is like when you're vocally struggling, it's like, you're going to get through the show probably, probably. Uh, yeah. but it's a, it's not enjoyable for me because rather than being present in the scenes, I'm like, I got to make sure that I talk quieter in this scene because I have to, I know I have to sing two more songs in the show, mm -hmm. which like is even funnier for me to say as Connor, because he doesn't sing as much, but you know, there were certain parts of the Connor sing that were a little higher. Um, that I had to be mindful of, like, yeah, this is what this is what I personally know I need to do for my voice to make sure that when I get on stage, I am sounding the best and I am, you know, delivering what these people are paying to see. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that that feels like it makes a big difference. The yeah, the sleep money too. Even, Sleep's a big like one. delivering for the for the money thing. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. But I also think it's it's that balance of like, yes, you you know you are in a really important job and you and people are paying to see you and wanting to be like you know, they, your job is to get on stage every night, so do whatever you can to do that, mm -hmm. especially on the road, and, um, but I think it's also the balance of have, being able to take away that pressure of, like, I'm going to pretend, like, as much as I love you guys, I'm going to pretend like you're not here, yeah, uh, sure. beca and I'm going to pretend like I'm not, because of my, my, at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not a, pro I mean, I am a product in that, like, I'm selling myself, but yeah. I am also a person, and my oh, health God. always what has to weird, be, weird, like, mind, priority, yeah. You always have to prioritize yourself, and, like, that is definitely, like... We made a joke about it in the improv show the other day where we were, like, saying, like, people on tour are selfish, and it's not selfish in the mean way. It's just, like, you have to know yourself and prioritize your health and prioritize um, your boundaries. That's, but That's great. That's good lessons to oh, learn. Oh, great. I mean, it was the best crash course in, like, doing theater in a commercial way. And self-care, too. But, like, yeah. even what to expect, like from doing this as a profession, because it's, it's very different than what I thought it was going to be. I don't think anyone can teach you exactly what it feels like to, um, you know, live in that skin every day and be expected to deliver every day. It's a different and kind of... And keep it fresh. And keep it fresh, yeah, because you, you don't want it to get stale and, you, and, and reviews are coming out and stuff. And, like, even though we don't really read those, it's still important to the, you know, the tour. It's commercial. It's commercial, yeah. and it's different, and it's a good lesson. Any funny or crazy stories from any performances or backstage or anything? I mean, I definitely did a lot of really crazy things on the road just because I got to see so much and, and do a bunch of things. And when I was in Vegas, I, I jumped off of this building on, on like a, what's it called, on a bungee cord or whatever. Oh my god, I was, I was just about to say, like... We just had a whole conversation about taking care of yourself. Well, this <laughs> is before I learned the lesson. Jumped <laughs> off of a building? No, but this is this was like, you know, Vegas was pretty early on in the first part of the tour. And so, like, I was just excited to be in, in new Vegas. places. I mean, I was definitely taking care of myself still. Um, but I guess I guess but when I say it out loud, it doesn't building? sound very responsible, does it? Um, <laughs> but um, That's funny. Yeah, like I said, my understudy expectations, I think, or my, my limits were a little different than my everyday limits. Well, um, you live and learn. Yeah. But in terms of anything else, like, that's, like, significantly <laughs> crazy, like, there there have been, well, okay, the coolest part, like, ever was mm -hmm. that when I was, the, when I did my first show as Evan um, in, in Los Angeles, I, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was at the show. I never met him, but he was, but they just told me, they were like, by the way, you just did that show for Iron Man, and I was like, that's uh so crazy! <laughs> That's awesome. It was so cool. And we got to meet some, we got to meet Tom Hanks and Katy Perry and like all these like oh my God, look super at you. cool people. And yeah. And 
I don't know. That was one of the most thrilling times of my whole life. It was Aww. really cool. Very cool. Yeah. And you met another special someone. I did, yeah. Yeah, I met my girlfriend, Maggie McKenna, who mm-hmm. played Zoe in the first year on the tour. And, um, yeah, we're still together, killing it, crushing it. Crushing <laughs> it? A, a huge long distance. Yeah, she's in Australia right now. Um, what time is it on? Uh, what day is it in Australia? Well, it's 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 tomorrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, I guess right now, she usually wakes up around 7 or 8 p.m. our time. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the, and it's the next day. Um, oh so she's God. asleep right now, but that's wild. It is wild, but we have it. It's kind of a good system because, um, you know, normally when you're doing distance, I don't really talk to. I mean, you text lightly throughout the day, but like nighttime is usually when I would call and talk to somebody mm-hmm. um, after the day is done. Yeah, and that's kind of still how it works because, like, even though she's asleep all day, I still am able to talk to her at like you know eight or nine p.m. So yeah. it doesn't really make oh, that much good. of a difference. Oh, but, good. You know. That's great. Yeah. Though I do think it's nice because, um, you know, when you're not, like, out in the world getting stressed with the busyness of life, like, it's a yeah. little easier to, like, I mean, it's, there's, you still have the stressors of the pandemic and, like, everything going on and the fear of, like, what's coming next. And, yeah. like, uh, but at the same time, you don't have that much to do at home besides talk to the people you love and... and do yeah. puzzles I don't know no I mean that's half of why I wanted to do this podcast in general is because like yeah you know I project yeah well I also just like have a lot of people that I love and admire and I find very interesting are in you saying that you this... love and admire okay well I'll definitely have to cut that out <laughs> what okay fierce. I'm kidding no but it's kind of funny that this you know being in my hometown there happens to be a lot of people that I just yeah feel very inspired by so i you know it well, you is inspire a good time me i love that i don't know we're people. both fellow sagittarii and um is that a word <laughs> sagittarii multiple sagittariuses are you wait do you follow astrology i i really uh identify with it i feel i feel like there's been so much truth to both but would like, but like would it apply for both of us sagittarius yeah or? like the you know because i mean i know like because we're like different or do you mean yeah you mean, i mean we're we're born at different ends of the Sagittarius. So yeah. I, I am a strong believer that, like, whatever end of the date cycle you were born, you lean towards those qualities as well of, like, if you're okay. right up... I think, like, I'm right up against... Like, my brother's a Scorpio, but I'm right up... I'm, like, more in the middle of it, but if I had to lean one way, I'm more towards the Scorpio side of things. I what I'm... What's right before me. I think you are, too, because it's Scorpio, because you're December 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So you... We both lean... And I actually think that makes sense, because I think... Uh, you and hip you i think you have more scorpio like qualities than i do okay and what are the qualities i'm not gonna go into it but are you, why are they insulting no they're not insulting <laughs> no, no no they're not insulting at all i mean Scorp- i die for scorpios frankly like i i feel like they are passionate they are um i think a little more uh prone to <laughs> what say it prone to like uh I'm trying to think of exactly... You don't have to keep it PC, just say it. It's not PC. I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to uh, to, fra- to phrase exactly what I'm thinking of, like, where they are, like, reactive and, like... Okay. Like... Fiery? Fiery is the good... Is a good okay. Scorpios are very fiery. That's fair. Which I would attribute... I would say you're fiery. I would definitely say so. Yeah. Yeah. And... Although, my... I know that my rising is Capricorn. Really? And my moon is Aries. Oh, interesting. I think I... I think I'm rising... Scorpio, and then like, I don't know what the other one is. I really like don't know enough about it. I know I had CoStar for a hot second. I love CoStar. Yeah, no, I, do, I I like it. I just don't. Hashtag CoStar. Hashtag sponsor this podcast. <laughs> I don't know a ton about it, but um. I know some people think like it's ridiculous. Yeah. But like more often than not, I have found that like the attributes to some degree like really resonate with whoever they're referring to. And I know that some I people feel like are a like daily horoscope. Maybe not at horoscope. It's kind of silly for me. Like, I agree with that. It, yeah. It's more the general attributes that I, I'm like, oh, that yeah. person does exude Leo-like qualities. Or sure. I also will tell you one more interesting fact that oh, I learned. Oh, please. So, okay, I, uh, Maggie was trying to tell me the other day that um, they're doing, every year, I guess people try to convince NASA that uh, there's an additional star sign called, I'm not even sure, I think it's like called Arif. Or, or something. What? I, I'm probably pronouncing it so wrong. Um, 
but it exists between the Scorpio and Sagittarius, and my birthday is right in there. Really? Yeah. And, and yours might Wait, be too. Wait, yeah, if your birthday's in there, isn't mine? I don't know. We should look it up. But look, look it up. Now. What's it? How, how do you it's spell it? It's called, it's like, it starts with an O. O-R-P-H-I-C-A-N-U-S. I think it's Orificanus. I could be so wrong. Orificus is a large constellation straddling right. the celestial equator. So it's a constellation, um, so people don't actually identify it as a, as a sign. Interesting. But it, I find it so fascinating. And, it, and NASA, like, literally released a statement. They were like, yeah, how many November times do we need to tell you? Yeah, it's November 30th to December 18th. So you're in it with me. Yeah. Who knew? It is really oh, interesting. weird. So why is NASA saying no? Because it's a constellation. It's not a sign. Mm. Like I said, I'm, like, not, So like, then what's the argument for it? The argument, I guess, is like, that people... I think the thing is, is that if, if, it, if you were to acknowledge it as a sign, it actually shifts a lot of other people's star sign to another, uh, another thing. Like if you were a Leo, you might become something else. Okay. Depending on where you landed. Um, but it's a big controversy because people don't want to give up their titles of like, I am a Leo, you know? That's so funny. It is very funny. Wow. Who knew? Not me. Space. Space. Crazy. NASA. All right, well... I'm assuming that we're probably out of time, eh? I'm, no, I mean, like, I don't know go what you're... on, but... So, I guess, what is next for Noah Kajman? Ooh, what's next for the world? Uh, yeah, well, I think that. what's next, you know, I'm collaborating with some new people on some new stuff that I haven't really fully solidified what that's going to be yet, but just with vague. new... Vague? Yeah, it's, it's still vague, because, you know, the ideas are still vague and everything, okay. but I... I know that there's a couple different things I want to do. I know I'm trying to write a folk rock kind of musical. Really? Next. Yeah, because I really have a love for that kind of music, and like I think. Okay. I really, and I want to like write kind of like bluesy or like could, what kind of like. It could folk go either rock, route. I think rock. my initial instinct on it was like I wanted to do something kind of Phoebe Bridgers esque because I okay. really like that oh, vibe. Okay, and I see. It's like it's like rock, but it's also like it has some folk yeah, elements yeah, to yeah. it, and. Um, Something of that nature, but I have a lot of bands and stuff that I like, like even like, um, what's it called? Uh, what's it, what's Chris Thiele and, uh, Punch Brothers and, and what's the one that he does with Yo-Yo Ma and stuff? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? No. I don't know. Just like a lot of that folkier, I think it's, what's it called? It's going to be the Goat Rodeo. Okay. Um, stuff like that. There, I, I have a really deep love for that kind of music and I haven't really explored it. I think what I learned in Shell was that like, I don't have to do it alone. And I think that even, mm. it's funny because like, even the show kind of speaks that message and like I think it was funny when I a lot of times when I was working on Shell there was this strange paradox of like it teaching me things about how I was treating myself as an artist and other people and I was you know I did the book music and lyrics for it and that was really fun and engaging to be uh, stimulated in that way but at the same time I was like no the funnest part of it though is collaborating with people and getting and learning different perspectives and so like probably also like getting other people excited about it yeah you know definitely it's definitely it helps when you have a partner to bounce ideas off of and, and to... Okay, yeah. I have a very dire question. Oh, God, what is it? What comes first, the music or the lyrics? Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Uh, it varies, but I feel like for me, it generally starts with the music. Like, I think it's... Well, I mean, it starts with the, with the circumstances and the story, and then from there, I build the feeling of the music at first about just, like, whatever my initial impulses are. And then I usually I usually get through like a verse one and a chorus, and I allow myself to something I feel like I of music, of music and lyrics usually I build them together. But like mm -hmm. I usually build I start with the music. I don't like write like a full track of music and then put stuff on top of it because yeah. that doesn't feel honest to me. It's usually like I start with some semblance of a musical idea of what I want to do, and then I build off of that. And then based on both the circumstances and like what my what I'm trying to establish with the music, I think a big thing I learned from like one of my favorite composers is Janine Tesori is like you know you your hands go where the character's going do you know what I mean rather mm -hmm. than I think in the beginning when I started writing songs I was like the chord progression is G C this and that and now I don't I try not to write as much in that capacity where I try to like really feel you know where's the character going and how can I do something that reflects either a contrasting feeling in the music back from what's going on or, or lift that feeling to a different height based on where we're going or tell a story with the music in the same way that I'm telling the story with the lyrics. Um, so I usually build them together, but I, for, for me, verse one and, or the first chorus are always the easiest thing to write. And then once I get into like verse two world and I feel like 
me I'm a very like notorious bridge writer too like my bridges are so weird and like they're very bizarre and like I and I I appreciate that about myself but I also am like you know <laughs> I always lo- but I love a bridge for that reason where you can just take I, I think one of my favorite activities as like someone who likes puzzles and stuff is like let's see how far we can get away from the actual song and then slowly make our way back to the context of the song or sorry, with sort of like the sort of refrains without feeling like I've totally lost the audience. And Interesting. there's a couple, I mean, there's a couple of my songs that like really do that and I love that. But then there's been, so then I've also failed miserably at many times at that as well. So that's great. Um, but yeah, music usually. Well, where can people find your music? Oh, in my head. Uh, Stop. (laughs) um, No, uh, you can find, I mean, there's a couple stuff, there's a couple songs on YouTube, YouTube slash Noah Kaiserman. Um, You can go check out my improv series. I write a couple of like, just like musical tunes that we don't really know what we're going to say. We make up the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some stuff on my Instagram at NB Kaiserman. Yes, please plug it all. Check out my Instagram. I have some piano playing videos and stuff on there, but I'm hoping, you know, in the next few years, I'll actually have something definitive, like an album or like something that I can release and really plug because I, w- I very much want to share some stuff as well. So very cool. Thanks for having me today too. Thank I you so it. much for um, for this little backyard. Yeah, afternoon. Oh my God. This little afternoon in the, in the you know this little this on little patio, patio, guys. You should be jealous because like this this winch patio is everything. Yeah, we got a little, new little setup, new cushions, little setup outdoor. Coffee. Socially distant. Yeah, get away from all me. the things. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Fiona. You're the best. You're the best. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening.